You're listening to Irish Radio Candidate Home and Abroad and I'm delighted to be bringing us to the southeast of Ireland down to Dunmore East where we're going to have a chat and meet Trevor Simpson. And Tre- Trevor came to Dunmore East in 1967 from Newquay in Cornwall and uh, that was because the fisheries in Cornwall at that time, and Trevor was a fisherman, the fisheries in Cornwall at that time were decimated. And he needed to find somewhere where he could transplant himself. So Trevor has written a wonderful account of his time in Ireland under a blow-in's tale. And uh, it is, um, uh, but this is not his first pen to paper. He had written Diary of a Cornish Fisherman. And he had also written a Cornish Fisherman's Irish Diary. But this is a reflection back over Trevor's years as uh, working Irish waters after he arrived in 1967 and right up to when he retired. Trevor, thanks a million for taking the time and delighted that you're here with me. And beautiful book, congratulations on the work. So, as I said there, you you, um, had to migrate after the decimation of the fisheries in uh, New Quay in Cornwall in 67. Do you want to just give us a little background to that? Yes, there was two reasons for it. And um, the first one was that we were concentrating on lobsters and crawfish, which we called crayfish. But uh, the lobsters, which hide, hide away in the, in amongst the rocks, uh, are quite, behave quite differently to the crawfish, which uh, settle in groups on on the rocky sea seashore, on on the sea bottom, and um, so we would be shooting our pots, uh, targeting lobsters and crawfish, and uh, what happened was that the, the people who were diving pleasure divers uh, found out that all they had to do was look for our dam boys uh, where, where we were hunting the fish and dive there and remove the crawfish. And the um, uh, the effect it had on us, we, we protested about it and tried to get it stopped. And, but they, they wiped out the crawfish, which forced us to uh, abandon our crawfish pots and concentrate on the lobsters by buying more lobster pots. Uh, so that was a big setback. And um, it followed closely by the world's first massive oil spill, which came from the tanker Torrey Canyon which was on passage to Milford Haven in in Wales, and um, they took a shortcut through the Scilly Isles, and the Scilly Isles, which were approximately 30 miles away from Land's End in Cornwall, and they went, went aground on the Seven Stones Reef, and the oil, the massive oil spill, um, we we got the oil, which just plastered all our fishing grounds on the shore. So I had to kind of think again, and 
in, in our area, lots of the small boats were just wiped out. You know, the, there was nothing for us. And uh, I arranged to go move further west in Cornwall. And um, while I was thinking about it, I suddenly realized I'm, I'm moving. I'll be away from all my friends. I'll know nobody. And if I'm going to move, I might as well go further away. So I took a notion then, how about going to Ireland? So off I went. So you literally upped anchor and, and headed west. <laughs> yes, I, I uh, had a young fellow came with me for the trip because he had relations in Ireland. And uh, so we went off... Uh, just before dawn, and um, it was a lovely, a lovely morning. And when the sun came up, it was great. And the last piece of Cornwall I saw was Truvo's Head, which is sort of ten miles east of us. And I picked up the course then for, uh, and headed away as the fog closed in. And I spent the rest of the time <laughs> lost in the fog. And at this stage, Trevor, you're married <laughs> and your wife is coming with you. So, and you're on, what, a 35-foot boat? Yes, my, my wife um, and uh, two children uh, stayed at home. And um, we we headed, headed away, me and my young friend. And uh, there was nothing to it except staring into a white wall of fog. Uh, which cleared away as the sun was going down. And um, I found my, my way into Milford Haven. Uh, the first thing I saw was uh, a, a, a light ship, you know, a, a, an anchored light, light ship. And I went alongside and I asked them, where am I? And they, they directed me into Milford Haven. And I got into this vast place, and by then it was dark. I was surrounded by lights, and it was very confusing. But uh, after a brief spell there, taking on some more diesel, I headed away. I, I phoned home and told Pauline that uh, we're safe and sound in Milford Haven for the night. And then we cast off and headed away in the dark, in the dark and with the with the dawn back came the fog as thick as a bag <laughs> <laughs> so so you made your way from Milford Haven over and into Dunmore East yes yes uh, I, I was having hallucinations and all sorts by then because I was uh, lack of sleep and stuff you know and uh, with the fog there comes a lovely, gentle, soporific swell. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So you're you're So you're arriving to Dunmore East, and you're, you and yes. your buddy, um, Pauline, isn't with you at this stage. No. You don't know anybody. Yeah. And you're on a thir you're on a thirty five foot, and uh, <clears throat> you arrive in with a yeah. a uh, wonderful English accent. 
into an area where where there's a very strong accent. Yeah, what w- water. So yeah. you, def- you 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 you're def- you are definitely what the wind blew in. Yes, uh, it's Dunmore East in Waterford uh, was a, a big centre for the winter herring fishery, which I'd heard about from uh, Cornish uh, vessels that had fished here in Dunmore East, and I knew knew some of the skippers. They used to tell me about Dunmore East, but that was all I knew about it, and. Um, We'd previously been in touch with uh, BIM, Ireland's uh, Fishery Authority, who, when I said I was going to go to Ireland, they suggested that I went somewhere on the West Coast, and they gave me the name of this place. Um, So uh, while I was steaming in the fog, uh, I kept thinking I should be I should be seeing the Irish coast, you know, and it didn't turn up. And uh, hours were going by, and I'd actually missed the Irish coast, and I was going along the south coast, but didn't know it. I I was looking at the echo sounder and the compass, and uh, where was Ireland? It just wasn't appearing. And then uh, suddenly I, the fog started to thin and I got, uh, like I was saying, I was dozing off and I was having hallucinations and all sorts. And um, suddenly I thought I could see land. So my my friend, he was, he was, he dozed off uh, behind the wheelhouse. Uh, what else could he do? <laughs> And uh, I said, get up, I said, get up, I, I think you can see land. And uh, as he got up, I couldn't see it anymore. And he suddenly said, oh, yes, he said, I can see land. He said, I can see a lighthouse. And I said, that's great. And uh, he said, I can see two lighthouses. And I said, well, he, he's looking at pier heads or something. And he said, I can see three lighthouses. And I I said to him, I said, are you off your head? I said, nowhere, but nowhere is there three lighthouses. And uh, what he was actually looking at, I saw it myself then, was these three pillars, which is on Newtown Head, which are three navigation pillars painted white. <laughs> and uh, suddenly I could see that the Water was shoaling up on the echo sounder, and then uh, there we are. We made a landfall, met met a couple of guys jigging for mackerel, and uh, the fog had thinned out. And uh, they directed us. They said, "Oh, don't don't go in there." They said, "They said she she won't be any good in there. Go to Dunmore East." And the, so. It was only a half an hour steam back to find my way into into the harbour, and here I am. And here I am. <laughs> right. So, so Trevor, then um, you settled in, and uh, Pauline joined you eventually, and you uh, got into rented accommodation, and you became a herring fisher, uh, fisherman. 
Yes, I I joined um, when the, as the winter uh, came in. I, I started off fishing. I had seventy five lobster pots on board, which was all I could carry, and uh, so I managed to make a bit of a living for me and a, a local crewman with 75 pots, which we would haul them twice a day, three times a day. And uh, so, like, the normal number of pots I worked in Newquay was 125 in five strings of 25, and we'd pull them twice and three times a day. So I found that we were make, making wages with 75 pots here. It was quite different. And um, so that was okay. And then when the winter came, uh, we pulled the pots ashore. And I went and got a, a, a berth on a local trawler. And uh, this was a wonderful thing for me because here we were at the hungriest part of the year uh, and we were making money trawling for, for whitefish and then changing over when the herrings arrived uh, and we we were earning good money. So that was where I learned so much from the local trawler men. Every winter I would get a berth on a local trawler and uh, they they taught me all I needed to know about fishing generally and trawling and uh, they were most generous uh, and, and I couldn't thank them enough really for their generosity and friendship and uh, it was a, a, a lovely thing to be uh, you know earning earning good money all through the winter. And Trevor, what comes across very strongly in this story is how supportive the fisher um, community, the fisher, the, the fishery community is to each other. How, how as a, you're, while you're all individual entrepreneurs and business people, but you are all very much supportive of each other. Yes, uh, the, they, the people here are so good to me. And uh, I had all sorts of things happen to the boat, and uh, and uh, they they wouldn't let me fail. They always picked me up. <laughs> there was always somebody who knew somebody who could fix something, you know. And, uh, you also go through the challenge that so many go through of moving from, first of all, into rented accommodation, and then finding yourself having to... Um, go and move house and to build and not being in a steady income job you have to go off to the bank manager and uh, beg your case to uh, be able to build your own house uh, another wonderful experience that you described yes that, that was fantastic because uh, I know nothing about building houses or land or things like that and um, the same sort of thing uh, friends directed us to where we could buy somewhere and uh so okay here's a here's a, a small field and um you know oh how do, how do we get into it and how do we make a way in oh don't worry 
Mossy will fix that. And uh, oh, some of the, well, what do we do for water? And oh, don't worry, somebody else will fix that. <laughs> and uh, well, what about sewage and stuff? So all these things. Um, there was always somebody who knew somebody who could point you in the right direction. Right, right down to the councillor who needed to um, uh, sort out the uh, the the title to the property. Oh yes, all of that. Indeed, I had to be. So <laughs> I, uh, I I'd, I'd be um, I'd fit, fit in certain brackets, and um, which was really fiction. <laughs> but um, anyway, it, it, fit, it all fitted together. <laughs> so throughout, <laughs> as as the fishery evolved and um, times changed, um, owning a boat, uh, it is a working piece of equipment, and all working pieces of equipment require maintenance and renewal from time to time, and that also presented you with wonderful challenges. Yes, yes, you know, you, you, so a lot of lot of it was um, fixing things, and um, you, you you have all sorts of uh, problems with machinery and electronics and things, and um, a lot of it happens when you're in the thick of the fishery, and it's going to cost cost you not only cost you money, but it's, you're going to lose earnings. You know, so I suppose there's lo lots of things are done with uh, jubilee clips and bits of twine. Right. Um, <laughs> so, Trevor, the fishing season, and there are a number of seasons, means that you can fish for certain fish at certain time of the years, and then you can't, and you have to. Uh, so, you were um, lobster, you were doing herrings, you then were doing salmon. And you also then decided that you were going to move um, around the coast and go to Phoenix and start um, oyster fishing. Yes, I, I'd heard about the oyster fishery and uh, I thought it, it started in October, October the 7th. And I thought, well, that's, that's the time when the lobster fishing is falling off and the herrings haven't arrived yet. And if uh, I could fill it in a few weeks, oyster fishing, uh, it would be a big advantage. And I, I could come back then just in time for this sort of uh, November, December period. And uh, it would, would fill in that sort of, not really a gap, but uh, a period of low earnings. So anyway, I... Uh, I asked uh, one of the lads who uh, actually came from that area and had been a successful oyster fisherman before he went into big-time trawling. And uh, he gave me the names of a few people to contact. And uh, so we went off and uh, went, went, to, went to Phoenix and... Um, made contact with the right sort of people and in no time at all uh, I had two local crewmen who uh, uh, and 
they told me, you know, where to get the oyster dredge made, where to get the derrick made and all this sort of thing for lifting the, the dredge and um, where to buy the various bits and pieces. And uh, so we spent the, the night before the oyster fishing opened uh, hammering on the, on the steps of the hotel, hammering these all these uh, metal pieces, rings and clips together and making a chain belly. And uh, people were sort of go- entering the hotel and walking through us and around us. And nobody objected to this bit of sort of blacksmithing that was going on. But anyway, the next day we set off with all these dozens or even a hundred boats into this vast bay where the oysters were. And I'd never seen a live oyster before. And uh, they shot the dredge and we towed away. And up it came, bursting full, and they tipped it out onto this table we'd arranged. And um, I said, oh, lads, we missed them. All I could see was like a load of ready mix that come out of a plumbing cement mixer or something you know, full of shells and stones and rubble and uh, they didn't say anything they grovelled away at it and then tipped the remainder over the side and uh, uh, we, we had buckets and buckets of uh, oysters and this continued on we finished up with a big bank of oysters piled up on the boat and uh, uh, we were supposed to leave the beds at 4 p.m. And uh, we were still there at 5 p.m., 6 p.m. in the dark, uh, still cleaning off these oysters. And all the all the, the stuff that you're scraping off the shells has to go back in the sea because that contains the oyster spat, the young oysters. And... Um, Anyway, there we were working away, and uh, we were approached by this boat with uh, four people in it. And this fellow stood stood up, and he said, "He said you should be off the beds." He said, "This is the worst boat we've seen." And anyway, a, a big row went on, and my crew were shouting at these guys. And these were the bailiffs. And the bailiffs were shouting at us, and I thought, I'm going to be forced out of here and never see the place again. But anyway, it all ended uh, nicely. They they left us alone, and uh, th- that was it. Uh, we came in and landed our oysters, and uh, the two lads said to me, they said, you have to get somebody else. It's too much for us. So I, I said, "Well, get me somebody." And they said, "We can't. They're all, they're all crewed up. There's nobody in the village left." So I said, uh, "Well, what if, what if I bring my missus on board? Would that be any good?" And they said, "Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bring the missus." And that was great because she'd fished with me already. And uh, so that was really part of my game plan, if I could. And so 
Pauline came with us, and um, she got stuck into the hard work of cleaning off all these oysters as they come up, hundreds and hundreds. So we had a wonderful time. Trevor, that problem you encountered with the bailiffs was relatively minor to the subsequent problem you encountered in Phoenix. Oh yes, that's right. When the, the oysters started to thin out, um, uh, it, it was looking like, you know, that we were working harder for less money because uh, we were still picking up loads and loads of stones and stuff but there was less and less oysters to be caught. So boats started to drop out. Um, we decided it was time anyway to go back to Dunmore and, and look, look for the herrings. And, but the weather was so bad uh, that uh, Pauline and myself went home and left, left the boat uh, with the local lads looking after her in Phoenix, and um, it was nobody's fault, but uh, when you get a, a, a ferocious wind in a certain direction, there were swells in Phoenix Harbour, and she got squeezed up between boats and suffered a lot of damage. And I got a phone call to tell me she was damaged, and uh, when I went to look at it, I was horrified what had happened. You know, just looking down from the pier, <laughs> she was smashed up both sides. Yeah. And when you and it seriously smashed up to the point that <clears throat> you then had to have it transported back to Dunmore East yeah. by road. Yeah, that's right. And that in it, that that in itself was a, a wonderful tale. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so when you when you got when you got it back to Dunmore East, then you, the repair started. And uh, you were hopeful that when it landed back in the water that all was hunky-dory, but it wasn't. Yeah, that's right. We we launched her down after my friend Little Jack, a, g a genius of a boat builder, um, when he f fixed her up and she was better than ever had she had been. And we launched her down and uh, left her in the harbour and there was only a few trickles of water came in. I expected more because she would have been drying out and the planks would have been shrinking. But uh, I could see that, well, she'll soon stanch up, as we say, uh, being, being in the water again. And what I didn't realize was that the amount of sawdust that we'd had gone into the boat's bottom and we'd been walking around in, in the boat's bottom and our boots had really caulked the gaps in the planks. And over a couple of hours, of course, it all came out. And somebody came and knocked the door and said, hey, your boat is sinking. And uh, <laughs> and so she was. And unfortunately, there was some ballast left in her, which th these uh, seven iron billets which weighed about 200 weight each and that would be enough to carry her to the bottom of the harbour and that would have been a whole new problem getting her lifted out and all that <laughs> so so you're d you're d you're down there with a bucket overnight yeah so so it was a bucket a bucket and a five gallon drum 
one right. one one drum and three buckets, that kind of thing, and one drum and three buckets. And Pauline was with me doing the same sort of thing with a bucket. And uh, about three o'clock in the morning, she said, I've had it. I've got to go. <laughs> and she, so she left me. I wouldn't blame her. I wouldn't blame her. <laughs> so, Trevor, Trevor, after a long fishing career, um, I know you've sold the boat reluctantly, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But from when you arrived in uh, Dunmore East in 1967 up until when you stopped fishing, how many years were you in the fishery? When I bought bought the trawler, the Santerese, when I, I, I sold sold the Reaper, the Cornish boat that I arrived in, and I and I bought this trawler with the aid of uh, BIM loan and grant, and. Um, the thing was okay for a couple of years and then there was a few headaches with this boat she hadn't been that well put together and um, so we ran into trouble and I couldn't make the repayments and I was forced to sell her and uh, then we were in deep trouble then because it looked as though we might lose the house as well so uh, we we went uh, picking cockles and uh, buying crabs and processing crabs and selling them to hotels, the crab meat, and that sort of thing. And um, yeah, and that's that. And eventually, we kind of found our way back into right. Um, what should I say? We were, we were stable again. <laughs> you, 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 yeah. you, you, you became you became liquid again. Yes, so. yes. And, uh, <clears throat> and uh, I had a job, and uh, I bought a punt from a friend of mine, and we started mackerel fishing in the summertime, and then we went back into it, and we bought fiberglass boat and fitted it out from a bare hole and that sort of thing and we were back into the fishing again which was which was okay you know and then I had this boat I think it was the Sea Wolf and uh, she was a 20 24 foot um, fiberglass hull a lovely thing, and I bought an engine and put a wheel out of summer and fitted her out and grand, and I was fishing away. And uh, I was single-handed. It was lovely. And um, there was no, fresh, no pressure on me, really, because I was drawing the old-age pension. I mean, what, what could be better than being an old-age pensioner and fishing away on your own and... Yeah, yeah, I had other guys fishing around, all fr- surrounded by friends, and uh, lovely. And then one day, so yeah, yeah. So you eventually you you sold the boat. You're you're finally reluctantly. You were, as they say, it was a bit like the Godfather. You were made an offer you couldn't refuse. That that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a, sh- a shipwright, shipwright, a very good shipwright, actually. He asked me to take him out one day fishing, so I did. 
and uh, we, were, we were coming back in and he said, Trevor, he said, I want, I want to buy your boat. And I said, no, I don't want to sell the boat. And then he said, I'll, I'll give you a ring at the weekend. So I was stood outside the house watching the sun go down. And the phone goes, and it's my shipwright friend. And he said, Trevor, I've been thinking about your boat. And I thought he was going to say, and I don't want her, you know. And I said, oh, yeah. And he said, yes, I really want to buy your boat. So I I suddenly thought, well, I'm, I'm 80 years old, and um, I feel okay. And maybe in a year or two, I won't be okay. Something will happen. And... The sea wolf will be up on up on the pier with the grass growing on her deck, and nobody will want to buy her. So I suddenly said, "Yes, okay." And he made me an offer I couldn't refuse. <laughs> <laughs> and and so now now you're able to relax and enjoy retirement, and you're putting pen to paper. And I have to say, you have put together <coughs> a wonderful, wonderful. Uh, chronicle of your fishing career and again it is fishing in Irish waters it's a blow-ins tale and we are chatting with Trevor Simpson and as I said at the beginning this is not Trevor's first pen to paper he had previously penned uh, a Cornish fisherman's Irish diary and also uh, the his first book I think was diary of a Cornish Fisherman, and they're all available from the manuscript publisher, which is www.tmppublications.com. That's www.tmppublications.com. And I would highly recommend reaching out to and looking up these books, getting them, reading them, because they're uh, most. Um, Educational and entertaining read. I have to say that, Trevor. They're educational and entertaining in every way. Well, thank you so much. You're most kind. <laughs> and it has been a real pleasure connecting with you. And I do really appreciate you taking the time and sharing um, your uh, story with us. And again, I will urge the listener, do go on to tmppublications.com and pick up a copy of the book. It is um, Your writing style is also uh, very, very comfortable. I, when I picked it up and started reading it, I said, you know, um, <coughs> I, 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 w I won't say I was struggling, but I was, it took me about um, maybe one or, well, maybe two or three chapters just to get in and get into your writing style. And once there, uh, you had me hooked, literally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, great, great stuff. Good to so, hear that. So thank you indeed, Trevor, and wishing you and Pauline and all your family uh, a wonderful retirement and continued. Keep putting pen to paper. Well, thank you. That's, that's great. That's great to hear that because, as you know, you can see I'm not really a writer. <laughs> oh, well, you're able to tell it. You may not be a writer, but you certainly can tell a story. <laughs> Yeah. I know. I know. Thank you very much indeed, Trevor. Thank you, Austin. Thank you. Take care.